0: I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Big Books and Bold Ideas, my Friday book show. Thanks so much for listening in. I've been married for three decades, two years, four months, and 14 hours, and I'm here to say that every single word of Heather Haverleski's new book is gospel. The gospel according to Heather. I'm a believer. Foreverland, the divine tedium of marriage, is a book of revelations, a candid memoir, a sassy advice column all mashed into one she had me on page four when she writes even after many satisfying years together married life has an uncanny way of making even the most buoyant soul feel like a fool and a failure repeatedly heather haverleski writes the dear polly column on substack and she joins me this morning from North Carolina. Heather, I read your New York Times op-ed about the book months ago, and I was laughing to myself at 4.30 in the morning. So I've been really eager for the conversation. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for having me,
1: Carrie. It's so nice to talk to you about this the gospel that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: gospel according to Heather. Yes. <laughs> what, what, what if we knew what we didn't know at the start of a marriage? I mean, what if we knew that, as you write, marriage is paying the piper? Do you think we would plunge (laughs) so happily into the piper's debt? Would we still plunge in? What would happen? Oh, God. I don't know.
1: I mean, I think if you knew how good it feels to make it through the hard stuff, and if you knew, you know, if you had the full picture, one of the challenges of writing this book was, trying to capture the anger and the frustration and also uh the fantasies of living a different life <laughs> and the you know and also the good moments to capture all of that together um it was hard to do that without getting too reductive i think a lot of our stories about marriage are pretty reductive um but if you knew everything i think you would be even more thrilled by the prospect. If you knew that you were, the thing is, you'd have to, you also have to know the future to know that though, because two people can create uh, a beautiful, uh, ragged, sometimes ugly love story together. And they can also create a living nightmare together, depending on how, you know, how they would get through every storm.
0: You know, I, I, when you say marriage, the way we talk about marriage and often the way we think about marriage is reductive so true because I think you write about how it seems like this binary state of being. You're either happy in your marriage or your marriage is awful. You you are living the dream or this is just a nightmare that you can't wait to get out of. And that is so not what a long marriage is like. How do you think we got to the place where that's how we describe what it means to be paired with someone for... You know, decades?
1: Well, I think it begins with the fact that we're obsessed with falling in love. And we even use language like, well, I fell out of love, so I had to get divorced, which is, I mean, when people say, my boyfriend broke up with me because he said he's not in love with me anymore, um, I always think, well, what did he think was going to happen? Was he going to be in a state of suspense for his entire <laughs> life? Um, I think that because we focus so much on those first few, oh, will it happen, won't it happen, and the, the physical sensations of being in love and the the passion of being in love, um, and all of our rom-coms are about oh, we could, if we could, only we could be together, or you drive me crazy, but I think I love you. Um, they're <laughs> never about the decision has already been made to be together, and now let's see what happens when we take a long car ride or we um, go on a vacation with two teenagers. Um, and I think that if we had stories that in, included the sort of ragged, wretched Uh, feel the texture of being (laughs) with someone for a lifetime. Um, In some ways, we would have a more humane uh, feeling about pairing up and we would have a more humane conversation about other people's marriages. I mean, part of the problem is we're also afraid to give any kind of hint to anyone else that our marriage is anything but blissful. Oh, That's um, so true. You, you know, you 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 have this feeling that if you just say mm, my marriage is imperfect, or I was I was enraged yesterday, or um, that you that people are going to assume that you have a bad marriage and you should get out of it. Which we saw with that excerpt in the New York Times. I mean, the excerpt was about. A ve- you know, it's a chapter about anger. It's that was, I set out to write a chapter about my angriest, most annoyed moments with my husband. <laughs> um, but people told me I should get divorced after reading that. Excerpt. Did they? I wondered mm-hmm. what the reaction was like. Yeah, you know, it was pretty oh. negative. <laughs> I mean, was a lot it? of people said, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, a well known writer wrote, You do realize this is tantamount to signing divorce papers in front of a a very large audience. Um, You know, every people have a very solemn moralistic uh, story around marriage. And if you're getting it wrong, you're not just failing at being married. You're also failing at being somehow you're failing at being a good person. You're failing at being healthy. You're, you're letting the world down somehow if you're in and, and, if you're just in a conflicted struggling or even ambivalent place about your marriage, um, people feel like they can, um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting how judgmental we are about marriage specifically.
0: I know. Well, I mean, the, the headline on the op-ed, which was something about amnesia. I mean, that that, I was instantly in, (laughs) in your world and, and, As I thought about this, I thought, it's like evolution planted this little time-traveling gland in our brains that says, we can go back there when it was golden and wonderful and bright and beautiful, no matter how dreary this dude or this woman looks to me right now, right? There is this constant idealism about how we got here and how we can recapture it, and really there is no recapturing that exact moment of falling right because that's that'd be right. weird because we'd be 21 <laughs> again and you know who wants that
1: yeah i mean it's almost like you're recapturing uh not knowing the person very well i mean right. that that's it's like what you want back is the suspense and the passion of not knowing whether it'll work out or not um and in some ways because our because we treat that experience as like such a high, the highest point in a relationship. And because we refer to it as recapturing the magic, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming a teenager again or becoming twenty something again, like why would you even want that? <laughs> um y- you know, it 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 actually hollows out our experience of our own relationships in so a way true. because because a relationship that grows and adjusts to a lot of pressures and and uh, difficult experiences, and you know, becomes a, a richer and more interesting relationship. You know each other so well after years together, living together, seeing each other every day. I mean, all of the bad things and all of the good things, fit together.
0: <laughs> They're mm-hmm. all a
1: piece mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. but the but the richness of spending so much of your life with someone and sharing so much of your life with someone. We just it's almost like we don't even have the language to capture that. Um and so that's really part of what I wanted to do with the book. I don't think I set out with that romantic of a vision in the beginning. I just thought I'll just tell the truth. Uh, you know, my marriage is so great. I'll just tell the truth about <laughs> the bad times and people will trust me that my marriage is amazing. Cause I'll make that, you know, I just, it's just so amazing that it'll be clear. Um, and I do have a good marriage, but as I was writing the book, um, yeah, I kind of, I, I sort of challenged my marriage by writing a book about it. Let's put it that Heather,
0: way. Heather, I, I felt in complete solidarity with you. And the other thing, and, and the other thing I thought is, you know, life is about, hopefully, accruing some wisdom. Some of it is really hard-won wisdom. A long marriage is hard-won wisdom. Why would I give that up? I mean, I'm not going to give up this wisdom about anything that has gotten me to the place that I am. This is is really valuable. This is kind of the payoff. Why Mm -hmm. would I you know, wipe that out and go, let's go back to, as you put it, let's go back to those years or those days when I didn't really know him. Although mm-hmm. I, no way. But, but here's the thing. I'm happy for that little, that little gland in my head that's our heart that says, but remember that that shimmers on the horizon. You could recapture a little bit of that. I think that's valuable too. What do you think? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, part of uh, part of part of sort of keeping your passion for your spouse depends on um, entering this sort of vulnerable state with them. Where I mean, in my opinion, uh, a marriage is enriched partially by a lot of honesty. Um, mm-hmm. particularly when you've spent years and years together and you trust each other enough to be honest, but you can forget that that is a pathway to passion. You can forget that admitting sometimes, you know, it's it's sort of the opposite of what we think about when we think about falling in love, that when you sit and you admit to someone, I feel really pathetic or I feel like I'm old and ugly today, you know? I feel like I'm bringing nothing to the table or, you know, I feel outmatched. I feel, you know, half of the fights that I've been in in my marriage uh, happened because my husband and I both felt like failures in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to, as as the passage that you read indicates, um, suggests, it's easy to feel like a failure within a marriage you always you know we have this story that you're going to become a better person because (laughs) you're finally loved you know within the context of a loving marriage uh you will become your best self and the fact is is that even a loving marriage can can, will bring out your worst self too um you're comfortable (laughs) with this person but true (laughs) it's it's yeah so i mean that's embracing all of yourselves and loving another person for their flaws, not just for their qualities, but actually enjoying and, you know, laughing at and sometimes mocking them for their flaws (laughs) with acceptance, you know, when you mutually accept that, yes, we both see these things and it's okay. I mean, I think that that's that vulnerability in some ways brings you back to the vulnerability of not knowing if someone's going to love you or not.
0: I, I mean, I just, I love what you're saying here because I think it takes like a decade of, of a relationship, committed relationship to understand that you've shown someone your, your flaws. You've, boy, you've shown them who you are in the worst moments and they not only love you in spite of it, they also love you because of it, because they, yeah. they also understand that there is a vulnerability in being seen like that. Yeah, that's right.
1: That's right. That mutual vulnerability and mutual acceptance and celebration of what is. I mean, I think that, that mm-hmm. the fantasy of marriage is that you're, you're celebrating... What you're both going to be forever golden, gr- great glowing gods, joined at the <laughs> hip, you know, and and a real marriage when it's working is a celebration of reality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's a celebration of your frustrations as well as your you know elated moments and your weak moments and your sad, you know, pathetic moments <laughs> often. You know, you share all, you've seen so much, you've seen each other through so much. And to accept everything that you've seen is just, it's worth celebrating that, but it's hard to get there. And I actually think that writing this book helped progress and change my marriage in a lot of ways because I had to look at everything. I didn't want it to be an incomplete story or a gloss over what I was feeling. And um, as a result of, sort of diving in and digging through all of the ugly stuff. Um, I, I sort of reached a higher level of acceptance for my husband for the first time. Um, and I think that reading the book made him sort of go through the same process in a weird way.
0: Do you? Uh, I'm wondering why you think we don't acknowledge that there is as much luck, if not more, than skill and endurance involved in a long marriage. When, when I think about the things that have not happened in the 30-something years that I've been married, I know that there's a lot of luck attached to that. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, you know, when you congratulate somebody on uh, enduring and um, possessing a long marriage... We often think, well, they know what's the secret to a yeah. long marriage, and I think one of the big secrets is luck. But you don't hear people talk a lot about that. Wonder why? That's right. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. There are a lot of I've
1: dated many people for for more than a year, and um, I could have <laughs> many. I mean, many, I, many, 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 and I could have um, I could have married. Uh, I wanted to marry several of them. I was very interested in uh, nailing down my forever person so I didn't have to think about it anymore because I was obsessed with solving that problem. I mean, this is a problem Hmm. of being a little bit romantic, but also very, um, I don't know. I was boy crazy. I was a boy crazy human for years. Um, And my kids just laugh at me when I talk about... You know, when I talk to them about crushes at school, do you have a crush on anyone? They're like, We're not like you. We're not obsessed <laughs> with love like you are.
0: They say um, with moral superiority.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh well. Everything is delivered with moral <laughs> superiority now. I mean, I think they have the moral high ground, honestly. I I'll give it to them. Um, but I do think that you're right, it's it's it is so much a matter of luck. And I mean I think the the I believe there's a statistic that the most predictive factor in a marriage is, uh, financial security. Yes. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So it's, you know, we congratulate ourselves for things that we really don't deserve credit for. Um, and, and, and really when two people learn to get along, I mean, I, I lucked into so many great traits in my husband that just work for me and, and, and vice versa for him. And, You don't really know what they're, you know, you don't even know, it's like you're interviewing someone for a job and you don't even know what the job is yet (laughs) that you're going to hire them for.
0: Yeah. I I mean, the things I thought that were going to be really important to me about my husband when I was dating him. Now, a couple of them have proven out. But most of them have turned out to be what? Why did that matter? What? What were you know? they? I'm
1: curious um, what they were.
0: You know, he was um, like traits. He was kind of, kind of sexy right? and wild. He was, um, yeah, he was kind of anti-authoritarian. He he's uh-huh. a he was a biker. I mean, he still is, but but his uh-huh. now it's it's incorporated into you know kind of. Uh, buying and building antique motorcycles. But back in the Hmm. day when I was a young buttoned-up reporter, TV reporter, he was a biker. And I I, you know, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? That has turned out to be a source of some annoyance, but also, (laughs) you know, for everything that goes with that, here I am telling you, see, this is why you're a great advice columnist. I never (laughs) do this. Um, But, you know, Mm. those... The traits that have really... You know, the things that I might have glimpsed about his character but didn't really understand are the things that came through and, I, and have ended up coming true to be important. And I get that sense... I mean, okay, you describe this episode when you were dating Bill that really gives you a glimpse into his character and you take your dog, POTUS, to a lunch place... And suddenly there's a guy with a larger, more powerful dog there. Will you tell the story and and what you saw? Um,
1: We were, my dog POTUS, it turned out, uh, gave other dogs hard stares that made them, that uh, inspired them to attack. Uh, But we didn't really realize this at the time. And she was just a puppy and she had a, um, she actually had a cast on one of her toes or her leg. So she was sort of incapacitated and also tied to a chair as we were eating our burritos in Venice in California. And, uh, and so we saw this um, pit bull across the street that wasn't on a leash or anything. And it suddenly, and I thought, okay, I hope that dog doesn't come over here. And it cut across this, cut across the road and went right up to POTUS, I think, cause she was staring at it. Um, and they immediately started fighting um, and I just panicked. I wasn't used to having a dog that <laughs> that seemed to get in fights everywhere, um, at, you know, went on leash. Like, what, what, was, what was happening? Why did all these dogs attack my dog? And I just, you know, couldn't handle the situation at all. And Bill picked the dog to grab the dog's collar and threw it back away from POTUS and, and then talked calmly to people about what to do about this dog that had just attacked our dog. And POTUS was just... I mean, the other thing about Potos was that she was always happy after she fought with the dog. <laughs> like she'd walk down the street with her tail wagging like, yeah, that was great. <laughs> Very strange. Um, so, but, but in that moment, I was so uh, just afraid and, and also kind of embarrassed and ashamed that this thing had happened and speechless. And Bill just calmly handled everything. And I thought, this is an adult I'm, I'm, I'm dating an adult now. It was the first time I had the feeling that I wasn't going to have to handle every emergency. I'd always dated boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some of them were wonderful, amazing people. But this was someone who uh, knew how to take care of things and knew how to speak diplomatically to people under pressure and knew how to take care of me. Um, and that's really, it's, it's exactly as you say, the thing that is so, that, that has mattered the most in my marriage is I'm with someone who is incredibly generous and has very clear values and ideals that he mm-hmm. embodies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that he doesn't fall short of his own ideals at times, but his, he he's just a, an extremely principled person. And so when I would, if I needed to have him hear me about something emotional, I knew that if I explained the principle of it to him, he would get it eventually. Which, you know, I mean, that's another trait that you don't really understand at first. And that is, can this person hear what you're saying? (laughs) Can you communicate clearly your needs? And is this person someone who understands and appreciates the expression of a need and, makes an, and can make an adjustment based on a need. Um, so much of marriage is two people asking very explicitly for what they need, which again is the opposite of falling in love. Falling in love is, oh, you're going to read my mind and know everything I want magically, <laughs> and I'll never have to deign to say it. Um, but marriage is... Okay, slow down. I'm going to have to tell you in extreme detail what I need here.
0: And I need you to listen. Right. Uh, You write about that incident with the dogs. That day I saw the truth. This was a grown adult man who knew what he was doing, and I'd never dated someone like that before. How much do you think this had to do about the fact that – you know, you both were more mature. You and your husband mm-hmm. then were not silly 20-somethings when you got married, right? Y- you were into your 30s? Yeah. Uh-huh. I was thirty. And he'd been married before. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. He'd been married for 12 years. Um, and he had uh, separated from his wife and was, had been dating people all year. And, uh, and yeah. And so Bill was 41, um, and I was 34. So we both knew, I mean, the benefit of him having been married before was like, enormous, an enormous benefit. Um, How so? He kind of, well, I mean, I remember in the book, uh, and this is, this is uh, it, it's a little bit embarrassing, but you know, I warned him, we were just emailing, we hadn't met yet. He had reached out to me because he read my work um, for years and had, You know, he read my cartoons when I was a, my first job, I was a cartoonist for an online magazine. He read my stuff and he knew my sort of personality and style through my writing. And, um, but so we exchanged, we, we couldn't get together for a few weeks. He was out of town. I was out of town. My mom was visiting a bunch of things. And so we exchanged emails and in one email, I thought it's irresponsible for me to be selling this guy, a bill of goods about who I am. So I wrote this sort of disclaimer email <laughs> right. that was like, you know, listen, I'm very bossy. I should tell you, you know, and I sort of had this theory at the time that like, you should just, instead of pretending to be chill through the whole beginning of your relationship, you should actually just tell- warn people that constantly how taxing you were because you were going to, basically they were going to find out a year in and then the whole thing was going to blow apart, which was my pattern in relationships, Mm. just playing a chill girl for a year. And then suddenly, Oh, by the way, I'm pretty high strung and I need a lot of things. And, um, so I said, I'm very bossy. I'm demanding. Um, you, I'm very, very opinionated. Uh, and, um, I can be a little bit unpredictable. My moods are pretty unpredictable. And Bill wrote back and said, you're a woman in other words,
0: <laughs> which I mean
1: is, you yeah. know, strikes yeah. me as slightly sexist now, Right but at the time it was like, oh my God, this, this person knows what a woman is. Like he understands what it means to be in a relationship with a woman. It's the acceptance of that, you know, was it was, there was a lot of realism. And in fact, I wrote to him and I said, I really believe that two people have to accept each other's flaws. And that's, what's beautiful about being in love. And, uh, and he wrote back and said, um, your words moved me. It's, it's really, it's really a beautiful thing when you can write something. And some the fact that he could show up and say, wow, that really moved me. I don't know. It was just,
0: it was on (laughs) before we met. (laughs) I'm Carrie Miller. You're listening to a conversation with Heather Haverleski about marriage, what she calls the divine tedium of marriage in her new book, Foreverland. And uh, this is Big Books and Bold Ideas. Um, you know, I, I'm curious, I want to come back to something that we, we glanced over, but we didn't delve into. And this is something I'm really interested in. H- have you ever listened to Esther Perel's podcast or read her books or her columns or whatever? I,
1: you know, I haven't. And so many people have mentioned her to me. And sometimes, I mean, because I write an advice column, sometimes I'm worried that if I read someone really good, that I'll just filter every, you know, because the smallest thing I'll start filtering everything Mm. through that lens. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I, I get, I get paranoid that I'll over apply a principle you know, just because I'm in love with it. So I've, I've sort of put off, uh, learning more about her, but I'm hearing so much about how great she is that I actually need to just give it up and and surrender and, and, and
0: learn more about her because
1: she sounds amazing. I mean, people bring her up to me constantly.
0: Okay. Well, sorry to be uh, repetitive there, but that's okay. It's time for me to, it's time for me to read it. (laughs) Plunge in. Um, For listeners, she is this French-born, straight-talking marriage counselor. And she manages to make what I think is pretty tough advice sound very gracious and poetic because she says it all in her genuine French accent. And so it goes down (laughs) easier somehow with that. She talks about why we demand so much from our spouses, and kind of how we got to that. And here's what she says from her book, State of Affairs. We want our chosen one to offer stability, safety, predictability, and dependability. And we want that very same person to supply all mystery, adventure, and risk. And, you know, what she says is that is just impossible. But somehow in our culture, we've created these demands that they be everything all in one. I, I think you've written about how your friends give you some of this and your spouse gives you some of this. And you have this acknowledgement that Bill cannot be all things that you need. D- to speak to that, if you would.
1: Uh, yeah, I, lo- I love that about mystery versus how we expect mystery versus uh just dependability. It it just it opens up this big door for me because I think there's a way that you what you start to crave when you've been married for a long time is just having something to work hard to get. Like you 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 sort of miss the feeling of the chase a little bit and I think that's mm. why people romanticize the beginning so much. Um the mystery part is just uh you know, how can a person, you know, so well, it's funny at the end of one of my many, many, many relationships, uh, a boyfriend of mine said, there's just, why don't you leave anything to, why why can't you, why do you have to tell me everything? I want some mystery. And I was like, (laughs) that's not a real relationship. You know, I'm not supposed to hide and tease and you know, like we're building something that is going to function. We're, we're supposed to be good friends who, who rely on each other. We can't be mysterious to each other. Um, but to your question, your original question was, um, why do we, oh, do, do you get your needs met outside of the marriage and in friendships? And is that, you know, how does right. that work? And yes, I mean, my husband is, his favorite thing to talk about is golf. Um, I don't. Oh, I don't have any problem with goodie. golf necessarily. Uh, I think it seems great to be able to hit a golf ball perfectly. Like I understand some of the things that are appealing about golf, but do I need to know how uh, he almost hit a birdie on the seventh hole and then something happened with this driver or that iron? I don't. I don't even know what the nine iron, my nine. You know. <laughs> oh, I've bobbled it. And there are all these verbs for, you know, hitting the, the goddamn thing the wrong way. <laughs> <Excuse my laughs> language. It's just, and you know, he, a, a, he also plays a game that's a golf game on his iPad. I mean, his, he really likes to fill his head with golf. Okay. I uh, love writing music and listening to music and I love Uh, I'm starting to write kind of prose that's sort of romantic these days. And I love, I love uh, existing in kind of a romantic realm in my head. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times the things I want to talk about are, I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't even, it's almost like there's a kind of person who is a musician or a writer who I can mind meld with in a way that I can't with my husband. Um, but that doesn't mean that, I mean, it's, I'm realizing this, I actually sort of dug this up while I was writing the book because I was looking for holes in my marriage, which I don't recommend looking for. (laughs) Um, but I did find that, oh, I have this need to talk to other people about the creative process more and I'm not doing enough of that. And I need, and I also, I mean, I think it's really healthy to have friendships with men and women, whether you're married or not. I mean, I love the energy that a man brings to a friendship that's different than the energy that a woman brings. And I love conversations with men can be kind of combative in a way that I love. Um, And so when you have friendships that fill, when you, when you can identify your needs and you can make friendships with other people that fill those needs you come back to the marriage as a in a more satisfied state, and you stop looking at this one person and saying, "Now I need you to be you know it's like they're a pocket knife with fifty thousand different functions um, now I need you to be nurturing now I need you to be not a golfer
0: <laughs> yeah you know you know I, I don't know what you think of this I'm very suspect when I read or hear someone tell me that their spouse is their best friend i just you know my best friends give me something and you know give me something you know more dimension in a different way than my spouse does so so, so what do you what do you get out of that i mean is that what you'd say about bill
1: i you know I do feel, and I don't, I don't like, it's interesting. I have, um, I'm a little allergic to that kind of talk. I try not to walk around talking, you know, it's sort of like the Instagram post where you talk about how much you love your spouse. I I sort of, I can enjoy it in other people if I'm in the mood where I say, Oh God, she really loves her, her husband. That's so beautiful. Um, there are other days when I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut (laughs) up. You know, I don't want to hear it. Keep it to yourself. Um, So I I don't, I don't, I kind of have a faint feeling of disapproval of that, you know, he's my best friend. But it is true that Bill is my best friend. I mean, we talk, Hmm. we are both really talkers. um, Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot. And I... He's really like my best friend, my therapist, and my mom combined into one, and that sounds wow. pretty unsexy. Wow, uh, but it's—I mean, I recommend it. It's good. It's just you know he—he is—he's uh, a lot of things. It's—it's it's almost like um, I can have a kind of fun with a friend that—that uh, that is not the same as the fun I have with my husband. Um, it you know it's almost like. The relationship feels essential in a way, you know, it's, it's sort of beyond a best friend. It's like, this is my ally. um, Mm -hmm. And my Mm -hmm. sort of my protector and defender. Bill is a person who says things like you're being too, he has always said you're being too hard on yourself to me from the early days till now. That's really lovely. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, I think his generosity is apparent in that because it's, It's hard to say to you know, it's like, it's easy to say to someone, be harder on yourself, you know, serve me better. Um, So when you say you need to take better, you know, you need a break. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's like a way of saying, I'll do more work, usually, you know, especially when your kids are little. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, he is my best friend. But I do understand what you're saying, where there's an energy and an an excitement to friendship that's very Mm -hmm. different than
0: what you get in a marriage. Um, I'm interested, and I'm sure you've read some of the psychological studies about that link our choice of partners with personality traits or physical appearance of parents or the emotional nurturing that we didn't get from a parent. I'm just interested in how you think who our parents were influence our choice of a mate. Have you thought about this, Heather? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um,
1: Oh, oh, yes. Um, (laughs) Bill and I both, I mean, Bill grew up in a big Catholic family and felt ignored. Uh, His parents were uh, quite a bit older than my parents, um, they were really greatest generation and sort of stoical. Um, and you know, no one wants to hear about your problems style of parenting. (laughs) Um, so, so, and I grew up in a pretty tumultuous family of people who, um, both of my parents were raised by, had one alcoholic parent. Um, and my parents were kind of young when they, met and started having kids and um, they didn't know I, you know, I guess I'd characterize it as we, I only heard emotion expressed clearly when people were mad at each other in my house. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of, um, Oh, I love you so much. And look at us. We're a family. We love each other so much. There wasn't like a very good positive narrative around, even though we all did love each other, um it was really like uh there was no no posit- there was no positive story about the family, and no positive story about the marriage going on and in, and in fact, what always felt like the truth was what happened when people started throwing things across the room like that was the truth <laughs> of you you felt like, oh, this is what we really are. we're people who don't get along. we're people who you know swear at each other and break things. And so, so, so I felt, and, and, and my parents, because I think both of them had an alcoholic parent, they were afraid. They were each afraid of emotion, Mm -hmm. very afraid. Um, My father in some ways was a little bit more expressive, um, but in a, almost like in a, a dangerous and risky and sloppy way, Um, sometimes in a beautiful way. And other times, like you didn't want to know. And then, uh, my mom had a temper. I don't know. It was, it was, so for me, I really, um, when I, when I felt emotional as a kid, my parents backed away from me or actually punished me for being emotional. Um, unless it was something like, you, you know, your lollipop dropped in the dirt. I'll get you another lot, you know, little kid things were one thing, but when I got old, mm. as I got older, uh, my emotions were treated as a toxin. Um, So what I craved so much in a marriage was the ability to be, to accept my emotions, uh, to be with someone who could actually welcome emotion and embrace it and enjoy it um, was just a huge sea change for me. And for Bill, it was like, he, I think that he often says that what he felt that he was getting when we first got together was someone who really saw him clearly and wasn't interested in ignoring him or or keeping him at arm's length. It was actually welcoming him fully into uh, a communion kind of of souls, which, you know, we were so into communicating from the moment we met and we still are and and that was something we didn't have growing up. So it's it's like this. You're it's like you're undoing the past or you're you're making up for all these years of feeling unseen and lonely and like unmet or or feared, you know. Um mm-hmm. which is not to say that there weren't times in our marriage where we were where he was afraid of my emotions or where I did hold him at arm's length. I mean, this is the thing about marriage. You go through stages where all kinds of things happen uh, where you aren't connecting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of what, when I, when I chose the subtitle, the divine tedium, um, you know, part of what I wanted to do was hint at the fact that a lot of the bad things in a marriage are passageways to good things or that the bad things, yeah, Yeah. or that the bad things could be um, experienced as interesting and good and valued.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to get off on this, but I just want to tell you that I had a note about, I just really savored the contradictory phrasing that you used, because it it captures exactly what a long relationship is all about. Okay, just wanted to say that. But yeah, yeah, here, here's what I found pretty astonishing about Bill. And this will lead us to an excerpt if you're if you're good with this. But sure, you know, in the middle of the hurricane, that is whatever, you know, when you were new parents and, you know, you were struggling and feeling highly emotional. You know, what Bill was able to do was blot out the noise and st- of, of the hurricane, the wind and, you know, the rain and and see this for what it was and remain as with that incident with the dog where you saw really the truth of him. And remain calm and focused and present and aware. That is, I think that is really exceptional. hmm Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know how exceptional that is. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're kind of like, uh-huh, yep, that's what he does, yep.
1: He, you know, it's not that he's not um, defensive or temperamental himself. He is. Um, it's almost like... You know, if, if, if I'm criticizing him, I mean, whatever. Who isn't like this, right? But <laughs> you can say things that hint at uh, that they're critical to most. I mean, I think a lot of men are very defensive, honestly. That's been uh, my experience. Yeah. Um, but But, you know, whatever. That's just one aspect of probably being someone who's expected to be strong and good and, you know, and not show their emotions is that, you don't necessarily handle your own emotions that well. Bill Bill struggles with his emotions and handling them. It's not that he's some kind of Christ-like figure in my life, <laughs> um, but he <laughs> is when it's important. And when, you know, it, it goes back to that principled thing. When he can see that I'm struggling and he knows that it's not you know he has this sense of justice where he's like he doesn't like for me to struggle in in an unjust for unjust reasons you know he's he's he steps in and i don't know it's 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 he does he stays calm it's exactly as you say he's
0: he's a I don't know this he is turning into swept. just
1: like a he doesn't get swept up
0: yeah. he doesn't get swept into the maelstrom and and yeah, i'm not yeah. saying you know you guys don't have obviously you have your angry moments and there's been plenty of fighting but that's a quality that i thought well it it speaks of maturity anyway this is a good a good lead into the excerpt and if you would set it up just a little bit um okay. i'm just going to say just going to say that uh you uh your mother you your husband your toddler and your new baby are on your way to an outing what what else will you add to that
1: yeah um so uh, this scene that i'm going to paint is a uh, it happened i think that the new baby was 3 months old um and Three weeks old? I can't
0: remember now. Mm-hmm. Um, very well, little.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the first places you've gone, I think, after you've had your second child. That's right. That's right. right. And so, yeah.
1: yeah. And we were, because I remember we were, um, I was packing the the diaper bag and I was trying to remember uh all the things we were gonna need just to leave the house for a few hours um and I was really tired because um the with a second kid I don't know there's a there's a period of time about four months with your second kid where if you have this i mean we had a two and a half year old and then we had a baby, and it was just like I've never been so tired and so just emotionally <laughs> exhausted and drained and <laughs> It was just it, there's nothing like it. And so we're in this kind of dark tunnel under the sea emotionally, and I'm trying to pack the diaper bag and Bill is standing next to me going, That's not where it goes. Because he's like considers himself the <laughs> boss of the diaper bag at this point. And I'm and I'm snapping at him and saying like Stop, I don't I don't who care? I'm gonna put it here, who cares? You know, like we're having the stupidest squabbling match. I mean it's just the <laughs> dumbest thing in the world. And sat, I mean, these things always happen when your mother is there, right? My mom right. is there watching. The dogs are nervously clicking around the, the, the room, upset that we're upset. Uh, and, and we finally get out the door and I sit in the car and I'm just suddenly I'm about to turn the car and I just feel sick and I stop and I start to just scream at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm the one. I'm the one who's not sleeping. Me, me. I am me. You know, just saying this over and over again, and my mom is just horrified, horrified from the backseat. And Bill turns and puts his hand on my knee and says, "I know, baby. I know you have." It. I mean, instead of getting mad, he's just so nice to me. Wow. And we go, we so we we're driving, we're driving, and everything is calm now. And so the so now we're in the car. My mom hasn't said anything, but everything's calm. I I yelled and it's done and we're going to travel town. Okay. So you ready for the, uh, ready ready. for me to read? (laughs) (laughs) So ready. (laughs) We are halfway to travel town when my mom finally says it. I worry about the state of your marriage. Her announcement comes out of the blue. We are listening to music. Everything is relaxed. Everyone has moved on. My mom keeps talking. Of course you don't believe your marriage is in trouble. Couples always think things are fine. And then, boom, one of them is just done. You never know until it happens. You really don't need to worry about our marriage, Bill tells her. We're just not sleeping. Oh, believe me, I know that every couple has their little squabbles, my mom says, and I can feel myself relax a little. But those fights add up, and sometimes men don't realize how much that kind of bickering bothers them (laughs) until they're already out the door. (laughs) This might be a good time to tell you that I love my mother. She's a brilliant, capable, generous human being who taught me how to ride a bike, bake bread, play solitaire, and defend myself verbally against anyone under the sun. My mom read to me every night when I was little. Together we baked cookies and played board games and painted on canvases on the back patio. And after my mom and dad got divorced, life with my mom often felt like a party. She'd put on Diana Ross's upside down and dance around the living room like a disco queen. She let us adopt a second rescue dog, and then she packed three kids and two dogs and a tent into her tiny yellow Car and drove us straight to Myrtle Beach to camp out in the sand, just so we got out of the house without spending money we didn't have. My mom was wise and funny, and she talked to me like I was smart. Oh, it's hard to read things. See, this is why I don't read read parts of the book, because they make me cry. She talked to me like I was smart. From a very young age. My mom is the reason I always wanted to have kids. She made being a parent look fun. She felt strongly that you shouldn't overthink these things. You just had to go for it. Instead of worrying if you could handle big life events, you just dove in. You had to work hard, sure, but most of all, you had to be optimistic about what came next. For years as a single mom, she was very stressed out and very broke but she never sounded envious or contemptuous. She worked hard to maintain her optimism. Even when we were subsisting below the poverty line, my mom didn't want her three kids to grow up around someone who seemed defeated or unhappy or angry at the world. She wanted us to understand that joy was possible, that we should believe in joy. She didn't put that statement into words very often, but that wasn't what mattered. What mattered was that she embodied joy. That said, one thing that's uh, slightly unusual about my mom is that when you are embodying joy, just like she taught you to do, she sometimes gets a little grumpy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Heather Haverleski, reading an excerpt from her new book, Foreverland, on the divine tedium of marriage. You know, it's... So many things, and we don't have the time to talk about all the, oh my gosh, all the layers of that. But I I think it's interesting that even as we get into our, I don't know, mid to later years, there's still this thing about, you know, performing your marriage for your parents, especially your mother. Like, why do I care at this point? Again, married for a long time you know, my mother has, has been divorced and widowed. Um, why do I care if my mother is what she thinks about my marriage? And yet I really do. I still do.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, parents are paranoid about how unhappy their kids are throughout their entire lives. And marriage is, is like a heightened piece of that. Where again, if you show a little bit of conflict, I mean, I also think, you know, if you show a little bit of conflict, your parent often assumes that you're really having a
0: rough time in general, yeah
1: when really all they're doing is witnessing a normal day where something went wrong,
0: and they um, know that they know that
1: I think sometimes they forget if they haven't been married in a while. you know mm. what I mean I mean, my mom has lived alone for i don't know since she since I moved out in ninety when did I move out? 88. So she's, wow. she's lived alone mm. since 88. I mean, she's, I think she sometimes forgets how, um, how, how just there's this, there can be abrasive exchanges with someone and that's, it's okay. I mean, the thing that she, if if I could attune her to pay attention to the good part of that situation I mean, it was amazing that Bill didn't get mad at me after I screamed at everyone in the car. You know, know? I mean, I lost my mind. (laughs) I was, I mean, it's not even, it's sad and embarrassing. I mean, part of the challenge of writing this book was including those, the lowest moments where you're just failing. I mean, what is worse than being packed into a car with your baby your toddler your poor toddler who's adjusting to a new life with a little demanding baby around and your sleep deprived husband and your mom and your and that that's when you decide to go off <laughs> i mean it's i've been indulged in my marriage i mean that is that is one thing that's true but hmm. you know there are times when it really feels good to be indulged because you just need to let off steam and that was a moment in my life when i felt like let's just clarify here that I, you know, I think I had had two hours of sleep every night Mm -hmm. for five nights running or something like that. Uh You know, you Uh it's not, it's like a near death feeling. Um, so yeah, but why do we care what our parents are witnessing? I mean, I feel like half of the fights that you get into on vacations are just a result of that paranoia that you're being witnessed that, that someone is going to think, Ooh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't raise my kids that way. I wouldn't do it that way. What's wrong with you? I mean, um, you're, is your, are you falling apart? Are you about to get divorced? What's going on with you two? You know, it's like, no, we're just on vacation and paranoid. And <laughs> we feel like we're being watched all the time because we are being watched all the time.
0: You know, <clears throat> it's interesting that your mother chose to be single. Now, she, did she have relationships in these intervening years after the divorce, but, <clears throat> or has she stayed happily single?
1: Um, she had a long relationship,
0: uh, for years that, uh, that just
1: didn't really include, you know, getting married or moving in together, mm-hmm. but was very important to her. Um, and her boyfriend passed away and cause he was a, a little bit older. And so I think that that was the love of her life really. And she, um, Hasn't really, I mean, you know, I think she would probably describe it as uh, why would I, you know, I can't top that and why would I bother and I'm happy living alone. Um, Mm -hmm. She is very happy and independent and uh, doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't talk about being lonely ever. I don't think I've ever heard her use the words I'm lonely. Now that may be that she's just, you know, doesn't express, Extremely vulnerable things like that, but she does express other vulnerable things. I think she's very um satisfied and and I don't know she's a she really gets a lot out of every day she's a happy she's a happy person. It's funny because you you don't think these things about your parents you know you're sort of like oh whatever they're you know you 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 can see them through this lens of just like they judge you. You see them through the lens of what you didn't get and the dysfunction yeah. there and their baggage. <laughs> yeah. But I had to admit to myself at some point, I was observing my mom watching birds in a bird feeder outside her window, and I thought, Jesus, this woman is a very happy person. I mean, I think that she's naturally a happy pers- happier person than I am. Um, hmm. She doesn't question joy. I mean, like I said in that, in that bit. So it's interesting to – it's, it's a really a privilege to have your parents around as you become old enough and mature enough to finally appreciate them.
0: For sure. Um, So um, one of your daughters says she's never getting married. Is that still the case? I think, I think you wrote that in the book. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't
1: think I don't, I'm not, I'm not completely sure. My younger daughter's 12 and my older daughter's 15. But when I sat them down to warn them about what was in my book, um, which I felt like I needed to do, in case someone at school started to talk to them about what was in my book. Um, I told them about this chapter about crushes in particular, about this Mm -hmm. crush I had um, and have warned them about this, you know, here's what happened. There's a situation. And I started thinking about it too much and it was weird. And I'm still, and I'm trying to tell my kids about this. And I get to the end of this story and my younger daughter says, the strange part of the story is the part where you get married. Like, well, and my older daughter says, "Yeah, marriage seems ludicrous. Why are you supposed to <laughs> how are you supposed to be s- stay with someone for your entire life? Who would do that? Um, I think that there's a, like a modern skepticism about about what marriage is even for um mm-hmm. among kids actually um but and I think that that's it, or maybe they just you know hate how our marriage looks. I have no idea it's it's interesting, but yeah i don't uh, neither one of my kids. I guess I guess my older daughter talks about having kids. So that's, you know that might require a partnership to do that in her or maybe it won't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't uh it's almost like you don't even really wanna interrogate what their wishes are at all. You just want them to develop their own, because you don't want your own prejudices and judgments to come into play. You just want them to, you know, decide for themselves sort of how they want to live without you bringing your poisons, your poison mind into it.
0: Okay, well, that kind of answers my last question, which was whether, you know, how you handle imparting advice about how to choose a partner. I mean, you're an advice columnist. Do you you really restrain yourself when it comes to you know, this very important choice or or not. A, well, choice, yes. Be partnered with someone or not that that your kids will, will make at some point. Yeah,
1: um, I think you have to stay out of that, you know. You have to stay out of that stuff. It's sort of like, especially with a specific person. I mean, my mom was always really good at just pretending she loved all of my boyfriends (laughs) the many many boyfriends wow um and i mean it's i think that's kind of nice it's hard to it's hard to i mean talk about being watched you wouldn't want to feel like you're trying to make something work with someone and you're you know your mom doesn't like them i think that would be really challenging um yeah so yeah i mean but in terms of what what kind of advice do i give uh you know through my advice column it's interesting people have all kinds of different I think there's a stage in a good relationship where you have cold feet. Um, when you know mm. it's it's really gonna, when, when you know you're really gonna be mm. with this person forever, yeah. you can or whatever till you're dead, you can decide um, or you think you're gonna be with them that long. Um, you can you can think this is my person for sure. I want to be with this person and still think this person's going to torment me until I'm dead. (laughs) Like this thing that this person does, I'm going to be watching him do this thing until, (laughs) until I'm dead and gone. Or he is like, how is that possible? How am I going to handle that? Um, And I think there, there are ways that when you're young, you don't, you, you, you know, sometimes people take their doubts too seriously, but other times people don't take their doubts seriously enough. Right. So it's hard to leap in and say this, this part of things, you know, in your relationship this part seems broken, or this guy doesn't seem like he's in this at all. Um, right. But yeah, it's, it's, and, and sometimes you just can't tell. You're, you sort of want to say, how do you feel? Do you feel like you're, you're yourself with this person? Do you feel like you're true to yourself when you're around this person, or mm-hmm. are you performing? I think is one good thing. But then, and also, like, how much do you trust this person? Is there natural trust there? When I met Bill, I had such a natural feeling of trusting him, and I think sometimes we forget to follow our instincts. You know how our bodies feel. I mean, sometimes you—if you—if you have great sex with someone, often you—you understand something about them that you can't. You—that is not intellectual. You know, that's right. It's like it's yeah. working because you just have this faith in each other and have this trust in each other that's sort of magical.
0: Well, um, that wild biker that I married is a big reader, and he's going to read this book, Heather. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Even if you have to uh, stand
1: over him and say, <laughs> finish that book.
0: Yes, that's right. <laughs> Heather Haverlesky's book is called Forever Land on the Divine Tedium of Marriage. Thank you. Thanks so much for the conversation.
1: Thank you, too. So nice talking to you, Carrie.